Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Jason, what are the hardest three years of a bass player's life? I have no idea. Please tell me. Second grade. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Today, we're sitting down with Katie Hampton. Katie is a Los Angeles-based session singer and performer. Born and raised in L.A., Katie grew up around a wide variety of music, her dad being a film and TV composer. She studied at McGill University in Montreal, where she earned a Bachelor of Music and Jazz Performance degree. Since 2007, Katie has been one of the lead singers for Sergio Mendez, touring and performing in venues including the Hollywood Bowl, Carnegie Hall, and Sydney Opera House. She also sings backgrounds for the wonderful Aubrey Logan and sings and plays synth for indie rock band Opus Orange. In the studio, Katie has recorded vocals for over 40 films and TV shows, including the theme song for Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 3, Rogue One, Star Trek Beyond, and Modern Family. She lives in Silver Lake with her husband. Welcome, Katie. Hi, guys. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Yes. I learned a lot just from reading that bio, and I've known you forever. Bios are That's the worst. Cool. This is, this Very is cool. uh, quickly gravitating uh, towards um, the Aubrey Logan circle of friends. Yes. That's right. It's well, a large The circle. Dave Johnstone circle of friends morphs to the Aubrey Logan circle of friends. That's right. Yeah, yeah Katie and I met um, through Aubrey Logan mm-hmm. um, quite a while ago, I guess now, right? Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been, yeah, like uh, what, five six? years or something? Six-ish. Um, yeah, well, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. I've, I've uh, been thinking about just stories and things to say and thinking, oh, I, hope I, I hope I say all the right things. Uh, oh, just, ju- more, ju- more than enough things. More yeah, just, <laughs> just don't think. That's how yeah, it works out okay, best. Okay. That's what that's, we do. It's easy. Let's, uh, let's take us back to the beginning of your story, your musical yeah. journey. Where did, it, where did it start and then get us to your first uh, live performance? Oh, live performance. Well, I like, I, like, like my, my bio says, my, my dad's a composer, and so I grew up up around a lot of music a lot of studios um i actually think that my first singing experiences were recording not performing uh i was i did a few things when i was little and um i guess first first live performance was definitely probably for elise or minuet g in a piano recital somewhere that was um that was probably the beginning uh but i i actually was thinking about my first my first, I didn't really get into singing for a while, but I, I sang for my dad. He'd be like, oh, I need some kids to do something for a demo or, or uh, some spot he was working on. So I remember I, I did a little demo for a fresh stub cat litter commercial when I was mm-hmm. 12. And I had to go to summer camp. I was going to summer camp with my friends. It was in the summer. And it was just a demo. And I ended up picking my vocal. And I remember getting a call or the, the camp counselor people, oh, your, your parents are on the phone. And I had to go to the office and, and I talked to my mom. She's like, well, um, your, your vocal got picked, but they need to change a few of the words and they need to do it tomorrow. So my mom came up, I was, it was near Sacramento and I flew down with her and I just remember thinking, this is so crazy, but okay, I mean, whatever, whatever you say, mom. Mm-hmm. And I remember going down and I, I went to the studio and I resung these little few words and I flew back up the same day to camp and I went back to camp yeah. everyone thought we were completely nuts and henceforth started the 
juggling of plate life that is the <laughs> the, the musician that works for hire yeah. and which that was is still 12? the case <laughs> and that was when i was 12 you left the kids camp to go to yeah the i, I flew awesome. down for a day to, <laughs> to fix a vocal cool. for a commercial <laughs> yep well, do you remember your first like uh, reaction of being in the studio like um i always felt really comfortable in a studio because I, I think it was where i started and i thinking back i think i I have always felt more comfortable in a studio than on a stage. Really? The, the performing aspect took a long, a lot longer for me to feel comfortable with. And I was, I was shy and still am sort of for, <laughs> for, a, for a performer, to call myself a performer, I guess. But in a studio, I, I always, maybe it was just comfort zone. I was always with my, my family, sort of my brothers. I still work with them. They play music and we, we work a lot together. So uh first reaction it it was it was always fun and not scary <laughs> and then the first times i performed it got on got on stages i was like oh this is so way the opposite on stage yeah so scary yeah. and then it got to fun yeah exactly so that's the stuff we love talking about yeah. is, is the transition uh and you know obviously experience brings a, brings that out yeah. but were there any tricks or techniques you used to calm yourself down on stage and focus on the performance and not the anxiety of it? Absolutely. I think, um, and it's interesting, I've thought about nerves a lot, the things you get nervous for when you perform, and certain things, certain things you're about to throw up right before you go on stage, and it's, and it could be five people in the audience, but you care about every single opinion of all those five people, and for me, that's, that's what I get nervous for, is if I'm, if, who I'm performing in front of. And then you can get in front of 20,000 people. And if you don't know a single one of them, it's like, oh, okay, it's just another another show. But I think the ones that I know and I can feel that I'm going to get very nervous for, um, I always try to come back to I get to do this. I get the privilege of getting to perform. And a lot of people don't get to do this and be in this position. So I should treat this as a privilege and it's a fun thing I get to do. And don't be so scared. It's okay. It's going to be fine. No one's going to die. You're going to live. Mm -hmm. And and to come back to the joy of it and the reason why I'm doing it. Um, and that usually sometimes sort of calms me down. Did, did someone coach and, you on that? Or is that something you came up by yourself? Um, I think I, I'm, I'm sure I heard that uh, along the way. I, I wouldn't claim to take credit for that. But I, I remember, I can't remember where I heard it. But... I remember hanging on to that one and coming back to it when I'm just like, oh, just knee shaking and freaking out. And mm -hmm. I, I try to try to go, wait, I get to, I get to just do this and have fun instead of doing a job I hate or fill in the blank, all the other things I could be doing right now. Yeah. So, so is that accompanied with any like meditative breathing or anything like that? Or Phys Oh, like physically. Um, hmm. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think breathing, breathing deeply definitely helps. I think staring at the back of the, the room, not necessarily making eye contact for me helps. Mm -hmm. Some people would, would argue that connecting and, and getting on a personal level with an audience helps them calm, to calm down. I, for me, I think sort of um, in a performance, if I can feel myself just being really nervous, I try to sort of block it all out, look toward the back, get in my own head. Uh, and maybe close my eyes, try to calm them. Vocal cords are so sensitive to nerves. So um, I uh, sometimes there's nothing you can do to it. Just it, you just have to ride the wave and get the shakes out, and then you're fine. Mm -hmm. I have I I do 
I have, I just got a prescription for beta blockers that I haven't tried yet, but I, that'll, that's another conversation. I, I heard about that. Yeah. Recently. Like what, what got you into that? Oh, just recommendations of, you know, m- mostly for auditions or, or situations where you know you're going to be nervous and you really can't be nervous or you really need to perform well. Um, they just, apparently I haven't, I, I got to experiment. I haven't tried yet, but uh, apparently they just calm down the physical effects of nerves they, they lower your heart rate uh there you have to be careful that you don't take too <laughs> a, a large enough dose that it, you don't want to be passing out or have your, any fat happen mm-hmm. but apparently they um yeah they just they just calm you down they calm down the physical aspects they don't really affect your mind mm-hmm. and your your um yeah the mental part of performing um it's something about like you it lowers the amount of adrenaline yes that, that your brain releases yes. which keeps your heart rate lower exactly which allows you to focus yeah mm. and it it you know as for singing you know that that shakiness that gets in your vocal cords right. is so, uh, really hard as, to, a, yeah. as a vocalist that's probably like uh, very important it's, right to keep all those oh, muscles really calm you just feel like you very interesting there's this thing too called jack daniels <laughs> you know i have tried that one and it is very effective <laughs> so, um one thing you said a minute ago the for you uniquely as a background vocalist striking a balance between um how much you need to connect with the audience make eye contact and things like Mm -hmm. that versus obviously a large amount of that will fall to the artist and it's not necessarily your job Mm -hmm. i I don't consider it my job in the least um as far as having visual contact with the audience sometimes i can't even see where with where i am and the lights and the whatever i don't I don't worry about that, but how much do you think about that? Uh, actually, quite. That's a really good point and question. Thank um, you. In the background, uh, anyone on stage that's not the artist is in this position, I guess. But especially as a background singer, because I think being a vocalist, you're sort of, I don't know, you're sort of put in a more of a spotlight, maybe just by default yeah, than for other sure. instruments. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's actually a very tricky balance sometimes to not take to be distracting to not uh to be a comfortable presence on stage um especially on small stages like when we were with aubrey and sometimes it's you know it's just me and one other background singer and we're we're almost right next to her so you you want to make sure her aura of artistry is protected and it's not um you're not taking away from any of that but you're still you're still entertaining you're still smiling you're still moving in a way that goes with the music or whatever you're doing um i'll never forget this i remember a friend of mine who i used to sing in sergio's band with she ended up uh going on to sing she she sang backgrounds for demi lovato and now um rita ora and she's yeah she's amazing and she i'll never forget her saying especially with demi lovato and those massive shows and massive productions like you know don't take away from demi don't don't be distracting don't you know and it's a very yeah, you have to be sensitive to that for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm interested in your take on that because it's this fine line of you want to be charismatic and adding some character mm-hmm. to the show, but then you have to know when is too much and yeah. that's just interesting to me because I never have to think about that. Yeah, I think with Aubrey I'm, and I'm she's the Sergio's sort of a different scenario because it's he's behind a keyboard and he is the artist but well, I can talk about that in a sec. But with Aubrey, it's a very it's a very traditional background singer position, and right. uh, you know, yeah, I think looking at her and glancing at her supportively, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's important, and making sure she feels 
supported by us, but also also kind of being a little bit neutral on stage and yeah, right. not not getting too crazy unless she tells us to, and then right. you know I'll. Well, she always tells everyone to ask for forgiveness and not permission. <laughs> <laughs> she, she does. <laughs> she, we need to be careful. Did you instinctively uh, do this, like the the serving of the artist, um, in being being a vocalist? I mean, you're used to being the front person, and yeah. you know, if where you're at with your career, like how you're doing this with these other artists, it, was there any coaching on that, or is this you just kind of understood the role? Because this is the reason I, I asked this is that you talked about this right being in service to the artist on our show with you yep. and i mean how many other guests have we had on that have said the same thing yep. right like mm. it's you have to understand that it's not about me it's about mm. doing what's best for the show and making sure that the artist is comfortable so that they can be the star yeah. uh, that was always with you on in your career or like so how did I, that go um yeah i it sort of came naturally because i think i found i found the the background singing and kind of work for hire singing path of being a singer it for me it was it was much more of a um clear path for me uh I did do a solo EP at one point in time in 2013 and it was a great experience I loved the songwriting process I loved I loved the the recording I loved when I was in the middle of a show I was loving it but man the the build up to those shows and and that path of in the social media all that goes into being an artist, I kind of quickly learned that it was not my my path. I was so, I found it such a chore to kind of like be the center of attention and get people to my shows and get, you know, my name on everything. And I don't know, it, it, it never f- settled in me. And I never, I also never really had that personality growing up as a kid. I think there are certain people and artists I look at that I, I go like, you absolutely were meant to be an artist and you were meant to be the center of attention on stage and performing in your thing. And that was never, that was never really me. And I kind of know, I know that about myself after having done the EP and, and also just the variety that I get to do in, in my career right now. I, I love the variety and I love mm-hmm. the, the different challenges that come up and uh, I love reading. I love harmonizing. Um, and those things aren't necessarily involved if you're just a solo artist. I think you can create those situations for sure, but it just it seemed much more appealing, the, the session singing, background singing route. Um, not to say that will be the case forever, but for right now, yeah, it's, it's gravitated that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the maturity of, of thinking like that is excellent. Oh. That's why you're able to build your career the way you have. Um, if there's somebody listening that maybe they're internally they have conflict with I know I shouldn't be the center of the attention Mm. you know like I this is my role but I want Mm. to you know because all these influences are telling me that I need to be up front how would you advise somebody in that position well I think I think it's great to try everything that you have that you're able to try and then just I mean you can't you can't always choose what what things open up for you also you know you can uh, that's why if I think back on the the path that (laughs) led me to the current gigs I do and the the music I'm involved in I could not have planned it I couldn't have predicted it at all so I think I I tell people just do everything and you know if you hate it obviously stop doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't, don't keep doing it but but try it all and 
Um, and then just trust your instinct. I think you, at a certain point, you get to start turning things down that you know, you know these, it's not going to really be worth your time or worth even worth the money if you can get to that point. Of, I, you know, I don't need to take this gig or do this. But for a while, I think uh, I think you just do do it all and meet meet as many musicians as you can and play with as many people as you can, and then it starts I think becoming sort of clear what what momentum you build up for yourself and which which things you gravitate toward and and um, yeah and just not to get stuck to like too tunnel visioned into a certain career and you know and and if you are that person that needs to be the artist and needs to to continue you're gonna do that you're not you're not gonna be able to maybe take the back seat and be a background singer and you'll find the motivation in you to keep going and to you know post on Instagram a thousand times a day and do all the things you need to do to be an artist and you're gonna do it because you you just can't not do it so I think you just trust your instinct a little bit with all mm, that. it's it's hard for people to, to do that but yeah. and I mean those that do are the ones that that ultimately win you know because yeah. you know which flow you need to be in and yeah. I, I love what you just said too about when you are in the season of life of finding a direction that you are in the mode of saying yes to everything and trying everything and in a way that makes the whole process easier because you don't have to wonder would I like being an artist would I be good at that would I like being a background you're trying it all and you're doing it and it's going to be crystal clear from your experience of doing it. You know, I've played, you know, for me, I've tried playing all kinds of gigs and I never wanted to say no to anything. But over time, you start um, realizing what your strengths are. And then that uh, is a self-feeding situation because people will also recognize that that's one of your skill sets. And then you'll get called for that more. And then you get better at it because you're doing it more and then you're doing it more and getting better, you know, and it all just feeds itself. And if you're just, I think that's, I love what you just said. You have to keep an open mind to all of those possibilities because there were plenty of things that I did that fell off really fast because I didn't enjoy it or for whatever reason, but at least you try it and then you know. Absolutely. And there's no, there's no point really. And if you, if you hate something and there's a lot of things out there you can be doing with music you know why why continue down yeah. a road that you hate <laughs> obviously yep. if but it, it it does get confusing how many how many things there are to pursue so um yeah so for for the vocalists listening you made a comment to me one time that i wrote down that i've been waiting to ask you oh. on this podcast oh boy which is that you told me one time that when you are singing that you visualize a piano mm. in your head can you talk about that and explain how that works for you? Yes. I think it's fascinating. Well, I so I grew up playing piano. I was just, that happened to be my instrument. And when I went to school for jazz, it was a very, very much an instrumentalist driven program. They, they, they accepted one or two vocalists a year, but it was, uh, it was very difficult for singers, mm-hmm. especially if you didn't have an instrument to latch onto. And I, I think just um, with singing, you have you have this invisible instrument inside you that does not have buttons. It doesn't have. It's a tuning slide. And uh, theory-wise, yes, you can develop a really good ear. And and a lot of singers go get very very far with that. And and sometimes that's all you need. Um, with certain 
styles and especially with sight reading and with with a lot of other types of demands that are part of I don't know especially the session singing world for me if I can't if I can't visualize a keyboard and where my notes are and where I'm landing it's really I feel like I'm just lost in outer space I feel like I don't I don't know where I'm where where I am I need a key I need I need to know if I'm on the third the fifth the flat the flat third the if, if right. I'm so that's and, grounding you it gives you something to latch on yeah to. it does and I I think jazz helped with that a lot and I had to do that with improvising I mean we would we would be given our assignments of tunes the next week in improv and it's like all right giant steps and mm-hmm. uh dolphin dance and nice. um impressions all right, right go it's like as a singer you know those are pretty challenging yeah, songs sure. to to improvise over so you need I, I needed a system to just follow the chord structures and and outline chords so so for the, me, the visualizing of the piano is it mainly when you're reading or is it always um it's let's see it's definitely if if i'm improvising in any scenario for sure then mm-hmm. um reading i i do it a lot with reading as well um i read i used to read intervalically mm-hmm. so i would read note to note interval by interval right and i realized at some point that crap if i get off by one note oh, and make you're... one mistake i'm lost oh, i can't interesting. Yeah. so i i Shifted, and I don't—I can't even remember when or how this happened. It sort of just happened. I shifted when I'm reading now. It's all key-based, um, so I know—I know my keys, and I know if you know, just reading a line. If it's a third, if it's a fifth, and so if even if I get off, I—I I can come back in knowing that I—that's a seventh, that's a third, that's that's the the tones. Um, actually, I do know when I figured this out. I was taking an amazing class that if any singers are listening and want to get involved in the session singing world in LA or just learn how to read better, SAG-AFTRA, um, the union for singers in LA, uh, there's a sight singing class led by Gerald White, who's an incredible teacher and singer. And he has a very, it's a numbers based system for reading for singers and and it's great. So. Numbers based as in uh, degrees of the scale. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, degrees cool. of the scale, and you you learn how to very quickly sing any number, any note you see on a page. If it's in a key, uh, you can attach a number to it and know that that's so where. So, if you're you reading are. like a a lead sheet with chord changes in melody, mm-hmm. are you relating that number system to always the key you're in, or to the chord that you're on? Well, I, I relate it to the key it is in at the moment. So if it's changing keys, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll then relate it to the new key that it changes into. That gotcha. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with jazz, it gets a little tricky because it harmonically just gets pretty complex. But, right. uh, but with a lot of classical stuff, like if you know if you're reading through something, I don't know, something Mozarty, and it's changing key centers every mm-hmm. eight bars I will literally write in the new key uh, if especially if it doesn't change key signatures in the music oh, right. but it changes keys I'll write in what new key it's in so that I know from that point on right. um, otherwise everything you're reading is based on what you just sang so if you don't know if you if you mess up you just can't come back in so. yeah that's really interesting I'm learning a lot from this too the little bit of sight singing I've done it's always been interval based mm-hmm. and that makes mm-hmm. total sense what you're saying 
of the detriments of that system. I like yeah, that. I mean, if you're reading Schoenberg, then then that's yeah. all you got. But <laughs> yeah, it's and it's, your knowledge of all that is what you know. It's part of what makes you great at what you do. And I think that oh, drummers you. and singers have a mutual shared mm. bad rap of mm-hmm. being not knowledgeable about theory. And I think that all the best singers and all the best drummers absolutely know that stuff inside and out because Amen, you have Dave to. Johnston. It's you have to. It's going to make you better. For, it's, yeah. it's why we're called singers sometimes, and you guys are called the musicians. Well, so, okay, <laughs> riff on this <laughs> and for And we're me. not musicians, which is What's your true. take on a vocalist Semantics. versus a singer? Uh, <laughs> because I have a, oh. we have a good mutual friend who makes a very clear distinction in his terminology between a vocalist and a singer. Really? In the sense that a singer okay. is a little bit of a, has a negative connotation mm. as compared yeah, to a vocalist is like a trained uh, a trained vocalist. Yeah, I mean, I, I think vocalist carries a little more weight, weight yeah, to yeah. it in the term. Uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't mind being called a singer right. at all, but I do take issue and try to correct people who, um, yeah, who say, okay, singers, um, you know, can can I have you do this? And yeah, musicians, let's let's have you over right, here. Right, right. And oh, it just just gets my goal. But. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's true. It is. It is. And then we just come down to the lowest common denominator of. <laughs> and, well, and just again, just how there's the old joke of there's musicians and there's drummers. Yeah. So I, I think we I are. You. You're right. We are. We I are now. That. Yep. We are. So that was pretty heavy in the theory <laughs> uh, realm, <laughs> and the segue was great that, that you set up there. So let's imagine that there's somebody out there uh, who is. You know, they they want to be a vocalist, and they heard everything that you just said, and they're like, "Oh my god!" You're like crap. What am I doing? Anything <laughs> you just talked about. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, like, like how how do you think the value of that is, like, investing your time to learn the theory? But mm-hmm. you know, we we just went down that that mm-hmm. path, which is incredibly valuable. You know, to to invest the, the time in doing that and. Not everybody finds that to be interesting, you know, yeah. like going through the process of learning music theory and applying it. Um, how did you do that? How did you overcome some of the non-fun parts yeah. of, of going through that process? Well, um, like I said, I'd always taken piano. I got really into jazz. I had an amazing, uh, uh, actually middle school band director and he got he, he got us all really into jazz very young. So I, throughout high school, I took jazz piano lessons. So young. Um, so young. I was, I was pretty young when I got into the theory aspects of, of things. And then, I don't know, I was going to, I, I wasn't good enough at piano and I didn't practice enough to try to go to some great jazz school on piano. Unfortunately, I, I, I wish, I think back and I go, I should have practiced my Bill Evans more. But <laughs> I, um, I thought, well, I can go, I can maybe find a great vocal jazz program and and accompany myself and learn learn a bit more of that. So going, yeah, going to school, sort of just by default, I learned a lot of theory and had to to, to do my degree. Um, but I will say, even after graduating and coming back to LA and, and trying to figure out, okay, I'm in LA now, I, I had gotten the Sergio gig sort of early. I was 21 when I auditioned. Um, and that didn't require any theory at all. It was all by ear. Uh, and then I was sort of at a point where I knew about the, I had done some of the session stuff as a kid and I knew that existed and, and I thought, well, maybe I want to try to get more into that. Um, 
And I, I knew about these sessions that were like choral, all the choral music you hear in any film score. Um, the Oz News in, in the big action dramas. Um, I wanted to figure out how to do more of that. And so I, I started taking these sight singing. I, I knew about these sight singing classes. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I finally got my first session on a choral call. And it scared the absolute living daylights out of me because you show up and <laughs> you have a music stand that you're sharing with one other person on a big, massive scoring stage. And everyone was older than me, and I didn't know anyone at this time uh, in the session singing world. And you have a stack of cues on your music stand. No one's opening them to look at them. Uh, and I was just looking around going, okay, I guess that's the cool kid thing to do. Don't look at your music before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we got on our stands and conductor light on we got our starting pitches and I'm looking at my music and I just just the short circuited and it it took me I I I didn't totally screw up my first one but it took me a minute to go okay this is all sight reading completely three hours solid of sight singing and after that but it was really exhilarating and really fun and I realized I had more music training and theory in me throughout throughout my degree then I realized and it went well and I thought okay this is yeah this is it's gonna be good it's gonna be that good sounds really terrifying it to was me, really it probably does to most people so um, yeah, yeah for in case it's not obvious if you're wanting to get into session work reading is a must reading is Big a time. must yeah. um there are definitely singers who and there are there's there's a good handful of sessions that don't require reading uh and maybe this is a good time to talk about the what a contractor is um you there's instrumental contractors and there's vocal contractors and they are the people that um that a composer goes to to find to hire a certain group of singers with a certain sound so it might be choral it might be classical it might be a gospel choir it might be it might be a solo singer they might go to a contractor and go do you know anyone that has this type of sound and they'll put the the word out the feelers out and find a certain type of voice. And I think, you know, there used to be a lot more session work um, for singers, and it's just gotten a lot more spread out, especially with home recording, and um, there's just not as much work as there used to be. So competition is really high, and so you have to, if it's just a tool that if you can say to a contractor, yes, I read, it's so invaluable. It, it will put you above. Um, yeah, you've immediately st- weeded out like eighty percent. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, of course, if you if you have an insane fill in the blank voice, a insane gospel voice, an insane mm-hmm. um, I don't know any style rock voice, mm-hmm. chances are if you're hired for some solo thing, you're not going to be needed to be a killer reader. But on the group vocal sessions, which there's a lot more of that. And choral sessions, um, yeah, you gotta you gotta be killing. Yeah, and the same for so. us as instrumentalists. The takeaway is, the more versatile you are, the more you'll work. Yeah, that's the bottom line. And maybe yeah. to also to answer to your question, just about just, um, it may not be that fun to get those skills under your belt. I think it it really depends what your inten- what you're going for, what your intention is, what mm-hmm. kind of music you want to be working toward. Um, if you're if you're in the beginning of your career and you maybe have your solo project, but you want to also keep session work open or background 
work open. Um, you know, it just, it, it depends where your focus is. If you're really busy doing your solo thing and you don't need to be an amazing reader, then yeah, you might not have time to get those skills, but, um, well, yeah. you used the phrase that, that it's a tool, and, yeah. and, you know, and Dave, you, you ran with that as well. And, and that's kind of where I was going with it is that if you if you're starting out in the industry, it's very cutthroat. Right. Yeah. So the more tools you have in your belt, the more likely it is you'll be able to create a sustained career. So if you're looking at the training, not as a drag, but as, OK, this is going to help me do X, Y or Z, Absolutely, uh, then, yeah. then for sure. Uh, but. Every, every vocalist that I've come across that can that operate on a level that, that you can, I mean, I've never looked at as, as a singer. You know, I, I've always mm. thought we're, we're on the same same playing field here. Yeah. Like that's, it's so awesome. You know, it's so refreshing. And even the people that, that aren't, that I know don't do like um, voiceover, or, or not voiceover, but, but session, session work, work yeah. um, they do just background singing. When they come in and they can... You know, they can read a chart mm -hmm. or they understand what you're talking about uh, harmonically or whatnot. It's just so fun to work with, you know? Mm -hmm. So even if yeah. that isn't uh, your path of speaking to the audience here, um, it's always good to have because then that's going to change the perception of the people that you are working with, right? Yep. They know that they can trust you mm -hmm. uh, and that they want to bring you in for, for a project. Uh, how, uh, Dave, this question for you here, like, you know, you're an MD. So how, how important is that for you when you're choosing background singers or uh, or vocalists for, for any project? Like ha like if that then the vocalist having theory knowledge and they don't necessarily you know need to need to be able to read perfectly, but you know that they have the ability to. How important is that for you in your decision making? Um, it's ultimately, I will say it's ultimately important, but I will also say for the MDing I do specifically with Aubrey. We have a clear delineation that I handle the band and she handles the vocals. Okay. Because that's totally Aubrey's realm of who she likes to sing with, who she likes to blend with, um, all of that stuff. So for me, if we're talking from my standpoint as an MD, working with a background vocalist, I'm more concerned with do you answer emails? Do you show up on time? Do you mm. commit to dates? You know, like those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, musically, vocally, I don't deal with that really. Although I will certainly give feedback if I think something is not happening that I'm hearing, I'll you know yeah I'll pipe in about that. But in general, the the real nuanced aspects of picking vocalists that blend together and all that is not my realm. How how important do you think it is? Like like have you gotten hired for a project because you knew uh, theory or or reading um, besides I think session it, work? It really depends on the on the project and it depends what uh what the priorities are for that specific thing so i've um i think with background singing and working with other background singers as long as you have some kind of system to communicate with each other about especially harmonies and like okay i'm you know you going three i'm going five or however you uh however you work together doing that and remember whatever your system is for me like i'll i would even if I knew someone didn't read or they didn't know harmony, um, if I'm working with a singer and I know they have their system for remembering what we work out, or they take notes, or they, however, whatever their system is, uh, then and and they can 
do it again and not forget and we end up on the same pitch all the time it's really annoying uh, but as long as we we get it done that's fine I think it it's if it's something like if I were hiring singers for something and I knew we needed to do it either in a really tight time frame and reading would just make it way faster then obviously I would need singers who could read um, if I had the luxury of giving music ahead of time which happens on some sessions you get you get things ahead of time and and then you can use your ears you can learn so I think it just depends I've I've had all scenarios where that that may be required maybe not uh, so yeah cool can we shift gears towards uh, preparation yeah. so gig preparation yeah uh, what is your process so whether it's a session gig or a live gig so yeah session work um, if I ha if I know I have a session coming up yeah, it kind of depends also what what type of music I'm singing so if I know I'm going for a choral call it's gonna be a classical choral sound uh, especially I will make sure I'm very warmed up and very well slept very hydrated not to say that's not important for other styles of singing but especially for for potentially very exposed choral classical sound mm -hmm. um, it can just be even more important to water man water so so important I know it's so cliche and singers say, say it all the time but it really is uh, for other you know I don't I don't overly warm up I I can, a lot of times I'll do it in the car on the way to a gig or a session. Um, it's funny for the Sergio gig, which I've been doing for a long time now. Uh, we always have a sound check before a show, and it's it's a lot of singing in that show for me. And I sing with his wife, Garcinia, and we sing unison, everything unison, all those Brazilian melodies, and and I find I'm almost overly warmed up by the time sound check's done and we've done you know six seven songs I'm I'm good I'm I I don't need to go through some big process for that specific show um yeah so it kind of depends on on what what style and how rigorous it's going to be vocally so if it's like to take a specific example if it's something where uh, you are sent a set of like eight to ten songs for like a forty-five minute oh, show. Yes, and you're just sent MB3s and no charts. Mm -hmm. what, what do you have I a do? specific process for learning your parts for that? Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I'm laughing right now because I'm thinking of my Aubrey Logan binder <laughs> and the, <laughs> the number scribbling. I do have a system, and Aubrey makes fun of me all the time for it, rightfully so. Uh, so my quick way to prepare and learn songs quickly. Um, you know, finding a chart can be difficult sometimes. Uh, a lot of times I don't, I just need a lyric sheet and I will put in my numbers for melody. <laughs> so I will write in right above the lyric line. Um, if it's something I'm, it's completely new to me and I don't know the song. And I'll do this in a session too. If I'm given a little song quickly that I've never heard to learn, you know, and you're trying to learn it in the session, I will write. Uh, I'll use numbers for and scale degrees. Yeah, and I do that by year. So, um, yeah, I'll write out I'll write out the melody in numbers, and then also for harmonies. Like if I'm with a singer and we're we're trying to work out harmonies really quickly, just so I can remember what I did for the next time, I'll write in which scale 
degree icing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm and you use like arrows for if it's up or down or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, you should see. <laughs> <laughs> it's very ineligible. What my but music looks yeah, like. Yeah, that's, that's but yeah, that's my that. quick way to do it. I just get lyric sheets and write write numbers. Um, if I have a chart, and that that usually keeps it to one page, so it's easy to just. Mm -hmm. In Not. rhythms, do you do anything for that, or just? Um, I mean, if if I have to just make a note that it's on an upbeat, I'll sometimes put a little, you know, I I have a whole convoluted system in my brain right. cool. of what, yeah. But uh, if if I if there is a chart available, that's great, and then I don't yeah. have to do. Well, I think anything. that's probably interesting for people because I think it's pretty common that you would be sent the music and nothing else to help you. And what do you do in that situation to? Yeah. best you know learn it quickly I'm definitely a notes person so I yeah. find I I cannot just I mean I can definitely memorize something if I have the time but if if you go okay I've got to do a set or the, yeah these eight songs tomorrow night right. um I have to print print out a lyric sheet at the minimum and just make my notes or on an iPad or whatever your system is and yeah just remember remember what which it is did. a whole other thing <laughs> that we haven't even touched on yet which is oh you're dealing with melody, harmony, rhythm, yeah. and you have to remember words. Words. Mm. Words. Yeah, and, and realize what you're saying and yeah. actually act them and out. Put, like, emotion into it. <laughs> put, yeah. like, emotion into it. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot to it. Wow. How do you approach blending if you're in a new situation, and especially if it's singers you haven't worked with before? Or, you know, if you know coming up what it's going to be, that just seems very hard it seems to me it would be very hard for me um as someone who also does a lot of different kinds of gigs and different styles of music i have uh 10 drum kits at home and you know millions of cymbals that and all i have to do is play appropriately and i have the right sound but for you you have nothing to help you get the right sound except for what's inside of you yeah, and which, so how which do you voice um, to bring that day yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> what voice how do you know which voice to bring? yeah that's a good that's a really good question uh thank you i i think well for sure before any gig if i if i if i get called to do something that has anything online i can look at beforehand mm -hmm. to familiarize myself with um yeah what style of singing how hard how breathy how all the all the different characteristics you can put in your voice um try to familiarize myself that way if that's not available and you just show up and like on a session this happens often you just have to make it sound as good as you can with brand new people you've never sang with and um sensitivity is a is a big one with blending and I think Less is more at the beginning, always with singing with other singers. You talking like volume wise? Or? Um, volume and attitude. I think, and and until you know what is being required and how the other singers sing and how much vibrato they like to use, and hopefully you're with singers where you can kind of communicate that together, and they're being sensitive as well. And if you can even get to the point where you're you decide where you're scooping up and where you're putting vibrato that can just make mm -hmm. bump it up to a whole nother level uh, performance wise that's nice to listen to so i think um uh yeah just being really being really sensitive when you show up anywhere and and def I, I definitely never get into a situation where i just go this is how i think it should be sung and i right. sing it out and you know right. it depends who's hiring what do they want what um, what sound are they going for? Uh, yeah, it's funny. And a lot of that, 
probably too is a personality thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Maybe it's that's why I've ended up in my <laughs> chosen path. I, no, I think I. Yeah, that's great. I'm, that's I've really definitely. Cool. I like the collaborate the collaborative aspect of. Yeah. Of singing and. Um, yeah, and creating something together that sounds nice. It's if everyone's out for themselves, it doesn't it doesn't work. But it seems like that's most singers, so that's got to be good. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There so someone listening at the beginning of their career right now, three professionalism tips that you would offer. Okay. List. List time. Um, or one. Doesn't it? Yeah. Let me think for a sec. <laughs> Dave already mentioned it. Uh being punctual and responsive to emails <laughs> that might go Preach. Preach. it's it's so important <laughs> yeah, it, it seems so like it, it would so important yes. it really really is um you will literally if you don't oh it's all good the sorry 90 percent of it is it, such yeah, simple stuff it's so simple yeah. uh professionalism let's see yeah showing up on time um being a nice fun person to hang out with <laughs> hopefully this is just how you are already but not being oh, a diva a, put your ego somewhere else uh especially in the vocal world there's there can be a lot of egos and i just know yeah it, it people remember if you come into a room and you have an attitude and you're a diva, it will be remembered, people won't want to work with you, you'll get a reputation, yada yada. And then, I think my uh, last third third note, never stop learning about your instrument, which is your voice. And I think there's a, singers get a bad reputation for settling and they just have their sound and just that's just the way you sound. But there's so many ways you can sing and, um, like right now, I've I studied jazz. I in the last couple of years, I've I've been taking classical lessons because I've just never done that, and it it's taught it's like opened up this whole world. I didn't even know I could sound like that, and I'm still a baby in that world. But it's it's really fun, and it's a new thing, and I still work on sight singing and do my exercises. And I I think you just should always keep working on your craft. Because there's, you never know when you'll get a call or an email. Hey, can you do this thing? Shoot, I was gonna learn that next month, but I didn't yet, and I have to say no. So you, I think always just keep keep learning. And what advice would you give yourself at the beginning of your career, mm. knowing what you know now? Oh, that's a good one. We're still waiting. I know. I know. You might have to, to edit this a little. Um, <laughs> advice I would give myself. Um, this is a Barack Obama pause. Right <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. I think. Uh, Don't worry. Dave will, Dave will fill the space with a joke. He's got one. <laughs> I think being, being a little less afraid to just get out there and do as many things as possible. I think I had this feeling this inner struggle of like, should I be an artist or should I try to do background and session work? And I felt like there's two totally separate worlds, which in some ways they are, but when you're starting out, you just do it all and and try not to get too hung up on 
on I don't know uh, just just do do all of it and um I think as a singer you're I had a lot of people and still do that think if they're not especially if they're not involved in the music industry they think that as a singer oh well you must not be successful unless you're doing your own thing or you're out there with your own band you're out there with your own project and I I feel I feel like I'm very I'm, I'm in a really good place right now with all the projects I'm doing I'm really happy doing them all and that doesn't include my own thing at the moment and I think I think not 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 being scared that if you're not doing an artist thing or a solo thing um, that you're failing or that you're not you're not succeeding as a singer. I think there's so many avenues to sing that that can also involve um, yeah that don't don't necessarily involve being an artist. So. Do all things. Do all the things. Just yeah, do I think them that's all. Great. And I think you nailed it earlier. I think what you're doing is really true to your personality Mm -hmm. and that's why you're successful because you're being true to yourself and what you are naturally inclined to be doing yeah it feels it feels feels good what can i ask you uh, we've never talked about this can you tell the story of how you got the sergio mendez gig (laughs) yeah and i know you've been doing it for a while yeah and just like brief overview of what that gig is like and Mm -hmm. what you've learned from it and like some of the cool stuff you've done with him yeah um so I was a little baby 21-year-old, and I got an email. I was in college. I was about to go into my last year, and I got an email from a contractor named Bobby Page, who still still contracts. She's done. She's she's a legend. She's done many amazing films, and uh, she's incredible. So she, I had I had um, done. A couple sessions for her as a kid. She always had a kids choir that she would, or kids session singers that she would have. And I, I knew her as a kid. And she emailed me out of the blue uh, while I was at McGill, and she said, "I have this potential opportunity. I don't know if it's something you'd be interested in, but do you want to audition for Sergio Mendes?" So I went on Google and I googled Sergio Mendes because I <laughs> wasn't <laughs> sure who that was. It's embarrassing to say. Uh, and this is in 2007. Yeah, 2007. And quickly learned he's kind of the man responsible for bringing Brazilian music to the United States in the 60s. And um, yeah, I thought, obviously, I'd, I'd love to go audition. It seemed, sounded kind of scary and exciting and big. And they wanted a year, if I got the gig, they wanted a year commitment and all this. And so I didn't know how I was going to do that with school. But anyway thought I'd figure that out later, so I went and auditioned. I'll never forget this. So they sent me a CD. So his wife has been one of the singers in his band since 72 or 3. And she's incredible. Her name is Gracinha Leporace. And she, she's incredible. Um, So she sent me a CD of Maishkinada and Fool on the Hill and The Look of Love. And I had to learn those songs and I was going to come audition. So I went to their house in Woodland Hills and I'll never forget this. We were up in a room with two SM58s plugged into their sound system. And I'm and it's all unison. So there's literally no harmony. And I'm listening to the recordings. I'm like, there it sounds like one singer. And there's there's multiple singers on there. So I'm like, okay, this is it's all straight tone, no vibrato, um, very smooth Brazilian sound. 
So I go up and I'm, we're singing together and it's, it's feeling pretty good. And then Sergio comes in the room and they had these big speakers on the floor and he gets down on hands and knees and he puts his ear in, like in the speaker, like wow. right next to the speaker. And he sat there while we were singing unison together. He sat there the entire song and he listened and I just thought, well, it's, uh, it's either going to work or it's not because he's hearing everything <laughs> wow. that I'm singing right now. And they offered they offered me the gig, and it worked out. On the spot as the audition? No, a couple of days later, yeah. uh, they, they called. She called, and she said, we'd love to try you out. And so I decided to take a year off school my last year, what would be like my last year. And then so I came back to L.A. thinking, okay, we're going to be touring all the time. It's going to be really busy. And then our first gig was not till November, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> like, crap, I could have been right. finishing my last year. But um, – it it was and it started an amazing experience and continues to be uh they've their family at this point um and so yeah musically it's a very interesting gig because they uh, i mean visually on stage we don't do black where it's me and his wife sometimes there's a third singer that we've sung with and it's all unison and we are just trying to sound like one voice and we sing all all of the melodies uh sergio sings a little bit but he mostly plays keyboards and piano and it's the whole gig is all unison. Yeah. Wow. There's I didn't, a couple. I, didn't know that. There, I can count on one hand the ending notes that we do a harmony at the end, wow, but it's all unison. Um, so yeah, that and uh, mostly in Portuguese. Uh, so I I took uh, talk about preparation. So all the songs that were in Portuguese, I was given spoken CDs of all the words, all the lyrics spoken by Gracinha. And they were really slow. And so I came to her house a couple times a week for about a month. And we didn't sing a note for a month. We just spoke words because I had to match her her Brazilian, her Rio accent because we were going to sing all the Portuguese together. So we just sat there for a month going, meu povo presta atenção. And, no, 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 no. Wow. <laughs> and it was really picky. Wow. It was a crazy experience. And. Yeah, it took a long time. I had to memorize the show, and and yeah, and that started started the gig. And since then, we we do about thirty shows a year, give or take. So it's a nice amount of touring. It's not. Is it mostly like one-offs? A lot of one-offs. A lot of like performing arts centers we'll do in the states. We'll do you know two shows in a certain area. Um, once a year, we we get to go to Japan, which is my favorite place nice. in the world, and we do three nights two shows a night in tokyo and and then go to osaka and do two nights uh two or three nights um in osaka so a lot of shows and uh it's been it's been amazing um yeah this kids if you learn your music theory you can tour the world your notes and your (laughs) numbers (laughs) so as we um we bring the ship uh, to dock here uh any last advice that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, maybe just just keep, if, if you enjoy doing it, if you enjoy music and you like to play or sing, uh, just keep keep going, keep doing it. Don't, don't give in to people who tell you that it's a waste of time or you can't make a career out of that. If you, there, there are ways to make it work and you just have to work hard and, and hustle. And just keep doing it. Don't give in. Just keep going. Now, people that want to find you and follow you and all that stuff, where can they go? Um, so, yeah, I, I have a few things. This is 
part of why I love the background of the music industry because I don't have to be all over social media all the time. But I do have an Instagram account. It's called Hampton Music. Uh, and that's about it. I, I post on Facebook occasionally. I don't have a Facebook page. I do have a website. It's called katiehampton.com. And just have my credits and things, different projects I do. Uh, and I, I do list my shows, my various shows I sing in on there. So, yeah, I can, can find out where I'll be doing my two-step next <laughs> in the background. <laughs> right on. Dave, cool. anything you want to close out here with? Uh, it's been awesome. Thank you for doing this. I learned a lot today about a world that I know very little about. I'm so it's so been happy. fun well, talking to you about all this. Thank you for having yeah. me. Thank I'm so glad here. you guys have this podcast, and I, I can't wait to listen to all the rest of them. Yeah. It's great. You'll find some familiar names on there. Oh, good. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> the Aubrey Logan and Dave Johnson circle of friends keeps getting bigger. It's kind of, yes, it's kind of, the circle is one and the same at this point. I think. Yeah. <laughs> All good. All right. Well, thanks again for being on. We appreciate you and our audience is better for it. Oh, thank and you guys. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast.